0: I encourage you to get a Bible and be turning to the book of James chapter 4, that'll be where our text is for this evening, James chapter 4, we'll come to that in just a second. Some Christians don't feel like they are close to God. It's not that they have totally rejected God or they feel that God has totally rejected them, but they just don't feel close to God. Do you? Do you feel like you're close to God? Do you feel like you have a close relationship with God? Would you describe yourself as being close to God? We want to be close or closer to God, but how can we be closer to God? And there are times when we wonder, why does God seem so far away from us? I'm trying to serve God, I'm striving, and I'm trying to do what's right. Yes, I do some wrong at times, but I do what's right. But why does God seem so far away at times? Perhaps James 4 can give us some insight, and that's where you have turned. So let's look at James 4, beginning at verse 6. He gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God... Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I want us to look at this phrase, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. you might underline that in your Bible, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What is that saying? What is that about? How is that accomplished? What is that telling us to do and how do we do that? This verse is talking, and this phrase is talking about seeking the closest possible relationship with God. It is not the idea, and we'll see evidence of this later, that I want to know God in some sense, I would like to be a little bit closer to God than I am, but it has to do with seeking the closest possible relationship with God. The NLT translates that, the New Living Translation, come close to God and he will come close to you. If you come close to God, he's going to turn around and come close to you because you come close to God. Let's get our Old Testament out, if you don't already have that close by, and let's take a look at some similar language that's used with reference to priests coming before God. So let's take a little look uh, quickly at a couple of three passages in the Old Testament. Let's start with the book of Exodus chapter 19. This phrase, maybe not the exact phrase of drawing near to God, but the concept of coming near to God or coming close to God was used with reference to Old Old Testament priests in bringing their sacrifices before God. Look at Exodus 19 and in verse 22. Also let the priest who come near the Lord. Now there is a sense in which all are near the Lord because the Lord is everywhere. And the Lord was with all people. But there is a special sense in which the priest would come near the Lord And sanctify themselves lest they break out against them, lest the Lord break out against them. So there was a sense in which the priests were coming near the Lord. Well, there was occasion when the priests did not do what they should do. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 10. You remember the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, did not serve God as they should have. They offered a strange fire before the Lord. And notice verse 3 that Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me. That is, they were attempting to bring a sacrifice, they're attempting to bring an offering before the Lord, and those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. They did not regard God as holy, or they would have done what he said. But here was their attempt to bring their service to the Lord, They're coming near the Lord in that sense. Well, let's go to another Old Testament passage, this time to the book of Isaiah. That same phrase, or a similar phrase, was used with reference to all worshipers, and not just those who were priests. Isaiah 29 and 13, this is quoted by the Lord in the New Testament, that therefore the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but remove their hearts far from me. In their sacrifice and in their service, they're drawing near to God with their lips, that is, they're saying they're doing service to the Lord, but here's the idea of, again, drawing near to the Lord, used of all worshipers, not just the Old Testament priest. Well, in the New Testament times, let's go to Hebrews chapter 7, all servants of God, including me and you, man and woman, and young person as well, are priests before God. We're all priests. And notice in chapter 7 now that as priests before God, we're to come near to God. Hebrews chapter 7 and in verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. We draw near, all of us as priests are drawing near to God like the Old Testament priests did in our service to the Lord. Now, here's the point that we're learning from James chapter 4 and in connection with these other passages. We come near to God because of a sacrifice. If that's what the priests were doing, the reason we can come near before God, implied in Hebrews chapter 9, we can come near to God because of a sacrifice. We come near to God through our service to the Lord like the priests, like all worshipers. And furthermore, the context of James chapter 4 shows us how we can come into a closer relationship with God. Let's go back to our text in James chapter 4 now. With that, is some background. We know a little bit about how that phrase was used in the Old Testament. How it's used with reference to all worshipers. Now let's go back to James 4 and in verse 8. The text says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So let's talk tonight about drawing near to God. Drawing near to God. How do you do that? What is said in the context, it gives me any insight of how I draw near to God. Your question may be, well, God, I want to draw near to you, but I don't know how to draw near to you. What do I do? What, what action can I take? What do I learn from this context that helps me draw near to God? There are three things we're going to talk about. Let's see in this context the fact. We'll see the action, and then we're going to see the promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Those three things are found in that phrase. Let's start first of all with the fact. The fact is God has not moved. When the text tells us to draw near to God, we are the ones that are directed to do the moving. That is you draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It is not setting and waiting and pleading and begging God to move near to me. God, I wish you would make an action. I wish you would be the one to make the move. I wish you would come near to me. The direction is for us to move near to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The fact is God hasn't moved because God is the same. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13 now and in verse 8. Hebrews 13 and in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. So it's not that I've been serving God and God's made a change now and he's left me somehow and he's moved away from me because he's a different God than he was before. God hasn't moved. God hasn't changed. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1 now and in verse 12. Hebrews chapter 1 and in verse 12. Like a cloak you shall fold them up, talking about the the world wearing down and wearing out. They will be changed but you are the same. While the world is wearing down and changing, God is the same. God hasn't changed. So God hasn't moved. We're the ones that if if there's any change in the relationship between us and God, God's the one that did not change, but we're the ones that did the moving. Let's go back now to the Old Testament. In the book of Malachi, chapter 6, Malachi chapter 3, rather, and in verse 6 and 7, Notice the text talks about, I am the Lord, he says, for I am the Lord God and I do not change. I'm the Lord and I do not change. Now notice at verse 7, yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances. I am the Lord and I don't change. Now there has been a change all right, verse 7, because you've gone away from me but I didn't change. So here's the fact, God did not move. I recently heard a story about an older couple driving along in a car. They're grown up in their years and they're driving along in the car. He's on the driver's side and she's on the far side leaning against the door. They come up behind a young couple and, who are many years younger than they are and the lady in the car is sitting over near her husband leaning against him. And the wife says to him, you remember when we used to sit like that? He said, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember how we used and and we used to sit together like that and we used to be real close? What happened to us? Why don't we sit like that anymore? And the husband of very few words drove on a few miles and he finally said, I haven't moved. He didn't change. She was the one that had moved. One person got that. (laughs) So I didn't change. Well, when God, we're asking God, God, why am I not close to you? Why aren't we close like we used to be? Why aren't we close like we used to be? God's going to say, you know what? I haven't moved. I didn't change. God is the same. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 9 again. What God did was make it possible for us to draw near to him. Go to Hebrews chapter 9 again in verse 7. We were there just a moment ago as we talked about all of us, all God's people are serving as priests, and we can draw near to God. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, there is a better covenant, better hope. God is bringing in a better hope that is based upon a better covenant. The word covenant's not in that text, but implied in the context. But he gives us better hope through which we draw near to God. In other words, what I'm learning from that, God is the one who made it possible for us to draw near to him through the sacrifice that it's, that has been offered. Now, let's be reminded of what separates us from God. It is our sin that separates us from God. You are familiar with Isaiah 59. One and two, your sins have separated you and your God. So what what happens when there is a separation between us and God? It's sin that drove the separation. It's our sin. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. It's sin. When it is finished, it brings forth death. Again, That separation. So it is our sin that separates us from God. Now, it's possible to fool ourselves And even fool other people about drawing close to God. Let's go back to Isaiah 29. This is quoted now again by our Lord in the New Testament in the book of Matthew. But here's the point. These people draw nigh to me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. In other words, it's easy for me to fool myself and perhaps fool others in talking about drawing close to God. Here's how I love God. I care about God. I serve God. Oh, I am close to God. Oh, how I love him so much, but my actions may be different from my words, so I could fool myself into thinking that indeed I am drawing close to God. Here's the point. If there's any moving, it must be on your part and my part because God hasn't moved. That's the fact. Here's the second thing. Let's talk about the action now found in that phrase. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is, I need to draw near to God. I know the fact is God hasn't moved. I need to do the moving. I need to do the changing. So what is in the context of James chapter 4 and in verse 8 that points me in the direction of what needs to be done in order to make a change? Now let's understand this principle before we begin to list some things. And that is drawing near to God is more than getting a little closer to God. And so if you're sitting here thinking, you know what, I think I'd like to draw just a little bit closer to God. I don't feel real close to God, but I'd like to move just a little bit closer to him. That's not the idea of drawing near unto God in James 4 and in verse 8. Listen to Lenski. He said, the aorist is again decisive and indicates that the readers are not to draw a step or two nearer to God, but to approach him completely. Suggesting the idea that I'm to draw near unto God, I'm to come completely unto God, surrender completely unto God, not that I'm getting just a little bit closer to God. Now, there is a degree in which we grow in our service to the Lord. That's not the point. The point is that I'm to go completely unto God and not just in increment, small steps, making my way toward God. Now, let's go to the context of James chapter 4. Again, if you don't have your Bible open, let's go to James chapter 4 and look at the context. What are some things in the context that tells me here's how you draw near to God? Context usually gives us some insight. First of all, remove the sin. That's what separates us from our God. Now let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now notice the next phrase. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now before we look at those phrases, let's go back to the Old Testament And perhaps this is alluding to the book of Psalms, in Psalm 24 and in verse 4. Let's go back to the Psalms quickly, to Psalm 24 and verse 4. A question is raised at verse 3 of Psalm 24, Who shall ascend into the hills of the Lord, and who may stand on his holy place? In other words, who can stand before the Lord, and who will the Lord bless? And the answer is in verse 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Now that's not all the answer he gives. But the one who can stand before God, be acceptable to God, and be pleased by, uh, pleasing to God, has a clean hand and has a pure heart. And that's the two things he mentions here back in our text. So, first thing he says about removing the sin is cleanse your hands, you sinners. In other words, it's the idea of purifying ourselves, like the priests must cleanse themselves. So, you purify your hands, you sinners. Well, what's he talking about? Well, early in the context, he talks about how you lust and you murder and you covet. You ask and you do not receive. You're adulterers and adulteresses. Here were some Christians who are not living as they should. What you Christians need to do who are living in sin is you need to cleanse your hands, you sinners. Perhaps a reference to the hands suggests the deeds need to be changed. Give up the deeds of sin and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Perhaps focusing on our thoughts. Clean up the sin that's of deeds, clean up the sin of thought. That pretty much encompasses all sin. Let's talk about the idea of the double-minded. Purify your heart, you double-minded. But it has to do with a divided heart. In other words, one who wants to serve God, that's true, but on the other hand, they want to do what they want to do as well. Linsky again captured a thought. He said, Those who are double-minded, they have a hankering after the world while they think they're holding to God. Do you have a hankering for the world? Well, at the same time you're trying to hold the hand with God and say, I love God, I want to draw near to God, but I like what I'm doing over here in the world. That's a double-minded, where I've got my mind focused here, and I've got divided attention to the world as well. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 22. Hebrews 10 says, we're to draw to near unto God with a true heart. Look at verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. That is with an undivided heart. A heart that's not divided. I can draw near to God with single-mindedness, but not a heart that's divided at all. Not that's giving attention to God, but at the same time giving attention to the world. So purify your heart, you double-minded. Now go to verse 9. We're still talking about removing the sin. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. In other words, get get that double-mindedness out of your hearts. Now, verse 9 of James chapter 4 describes repentance. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, Christians ought to be happy people. So, is he saying, don't be happy, be a sad person, and don't have any laughter, don't have any happiness at all? No, the other passages would tell us that's not the case. What he's talking about is sin in the context. Cleanse your hands, purify your heart, let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let to lament and mourn and weep. In other words, weep and mourn and howl over your sin. That's describing a mourning and a regret over the sin. So the first step I'm learning in the context is remove that which separates you from God. You say, I want to draw near to God. How can I do that? Well, look at your life and see there's sin. There's something that needs to be stopped, something that needs to be removed. Remove the sin because that's what's keeping you from coming closer to God. Not a hard or difficult thing. Here's the second thing. Let's go back further in the context. Verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's in the context. Verse 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That has some connection, doesn't it? In other words, take further steps than repentance. Now when a person is guilty of sin, let's just say it's the sin of lying. Or let's take maybe something like stealing. Let's say it's a sin of stealing. And they have been stealing and they have continued to steal and now they're repenting of that. What's involved in that repentance? Well, there is the regret for committing the sin. But that's not all. He ceases the sin of stealing. And not only that, he determines, I don't want to steal anymore in the future. Now, that's repentance. Change of mind, stopping the sin, and changing your direction. That's repentance. So I'm saying, suggesting here, that resisting the devil is taking it further than just repentance. Not, saying, not minimizing repentance at all. But this person who's not only regretting the sin and changed the sin, quit the sin and doing different in the future, needs to be fighting against the temptation that led to that sin in the first place. That's the idea. Let's notice this word Resist resist the devil and he will flee from you. What does it mean to resist? BDAC says it means to set oneself against, to oppose, to resist. Set yourself against Satan. Etty Robinson says it means to take a stand against Satan. In other words, that suggests a fight. It doesn't suggest that I merely walk away from something, but I'm in a fight and I'm going to fight the devil like Ephesians chapter 6. Now what I need to understand in 1 Peter 5 and in verse 8 is Satan's goal is to drive me further and further away from God. He's getting us away when he causes us to commit sin. But when I'm resisting the devil, what I'm fighting is the very one who wants to put even a wider gap between me and God. Look at 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. Um. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Then the next phrase is resist him, fight him. He is out to go with the goal of driving you further away from your God. So the idea here is fighting the temptation, anything that pulls you away from God. Not just the sin itself, but that which leads to the sin. It might be an association that leads you to that sin. It might be a thought process that led you to that sin. It might be in a certain circumstance that led you to that sin. So I'm going to be fighting the temptation that pulls me away from God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. I cited that in passing a moment ago. Ephesians 6 is putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the devil. But I want you to notice it, verse 11, Ephesians 6 and verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the plans of the devil. In other words, I need to understand how he tempts. I need to know the avenues. Not only the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. But I need to understand it. Here's the kind of person they work through. Here is the circumstance where I might be allured to commit that sin. Here is the tool that Satan uses. Sometimes things that look holy and right lead me away from the Lord. Though they're not holy and right. They're contrary to the will of God. I need to understand how he operates so that I can fight against that. I need to pray about temptation. Lead us not into temptation. So here is a temptation that comes again and again and again. I need to be praying about that. That's part of resisting the devil. And notice what he says in chapter James chapter 4 and in verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The promise is that he'll flee. That means he has no power unless you allow him to have power. So when you say, "You know what? The temptation is great, it's strong." And you don't understand how strong this temptation is. And it's overwhelming me. Satan doesn't have any power unless you allow him to have the power. So what I'm learning is he can be resisted. So how do I draw near to God? I need to remove the sin. I need to resist the devil. Here's a third thing. Submit to God. Same verse, verse 7. Now it was verse 8 that said draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But verse 7 says submit to God. In other words, suppress your own will. You say, I want to draw near to God. I, I, want to, I want to do what this text says. I want to draw near to God. How do I do that? One of the things I do is I suppress my own will. Go to Mark 8 in verse 34. Jesus talking about if you would be my disciple, let him first deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Denying himself means you suppress your own will. And push it down. Here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to live. But you suppress that will. And you yield to the will of God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 24. Parallel is drawn between a husband and his wife and Christ in the church. In chapter 5 and verse 24, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husband in everything. I'm not interested at this juncture, the wife-husband relationship, as I am Christ in the church. We are the church and we're subject to Christ. That's a military term that it means to place oneself under the authority of another just as a private would line himself up under the authority of all of those above him. Whatever they say, that's what he does. That's the same word that's used here. Submitting and subjecting yourself to Christ. Military term. And notice he says in everything not just some or even most things but in every aspect of our life. Submitting yourself to the will of God. You want to draw close to God? You say, I want to be closer to God. I want to be much closer to God than I am now. We'll start by submitting to God. Be obedient. Why call you me Lord, Lord, Jesus said, and do not the things which, you, which I say. You call me Lord, but then you don't do what I say. You say you want to be closer, but then you're doing things that push me further away. You want to draw close to God? Remove the sin. Secondly, resist the devil. Thirdly, submit to God. Same context, now chapter 4. Look at verse 6 and verse 10. Our verse, verse 8, is surrounded by these two verses. And these two verses talk about being humble. Let's go to verse 6. Look at verse 6. James 4 and in verse 6. Therefore he gives the more grace. Therefore he says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 10. Humble yourselves in the, uh, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Now what do I learn from those two verses. Let's go back to the first. Verse 6 and 7. And that is humility drives submission that we talked about in verse 7. You say, how so? Well, interesting that he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The humble are those who bring themselves, the word humble, our English word comes from the word from which we get the word ground, dirt. Bring yourself down to the dirt, down to the ground. Bring yourself down. And those who do that Notice he said, God gives grace to the humble. Now verse 7, therefore, there's a connection with what he just said. Therefore, submit to God. You're not going to submit to God unless you bring yourself down. Unless you bring yourself down in humility. And with humility you submit to God. So humility drives submission, but that's not all. Humility drives repentance. At verse 9, he talks about lamenting and mourning and weeping. and Your laughter be turning to mourning and your joy into gloom. That's a description of repentance for sin. And then he adds, humble yourselves in in the sight of the Lord. I like what the New Century Version says. Humble yourself in the Lord's presence. What does that suggest to you? You see, when we realize that we're before the Almighty God, we can clearly see our own unworthiness. Let's go to Luke 8, verse 58. Or verse, uh, Luke, Luke 5 and verse 8. Um, this is when the disciples were on the fishing trip, you remember? Hadn't caught anything all night, and the Lord comes on the scene and, and tells them to cast out on the other side, and Peter said, "We Master, we've told all the night, called nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down my net for a draw. And he does. Had such great results, they filled two boats, and both boats began to sink. And here was Peter's reaction to that. Look at verse 8. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He is not saying, I want you to get away from me. But what he's saying, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. When I realize your greatness and your power and your might, when I realize the majesty of the Almighty, and when I realize you are God, I'm unworthy to be in your presence. And let's go back in our context now to verse, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord century, humble yourself in the Lord's presence. When I realize I'm before the Almighty, we realize our own unworthiness before the Lord. You want to draw near to God? One writer suggested <clears throat> drawing near to God is not trying to be more like God. There's a sense in which we need to be, but recognizing my contrast to God in this verse. When I realize how great God is and how insignificant I am in his sight, that draws me closer to God in humility. But that's not all. Same context, same book. You want to draw near to God? Where he may draw near to you, same context, talk to him. Talk to him. You see, you can't draw close to anyone you don't talk to. Can you imagine a husband and wife and they say, you know, we don't feel close anymore. We just don't feel, but they don't talk to each other. What what, do you ever talk? Well, I don't know. We just kind of. Pass through the doorway and we don't don't ever talk. You can't grow close to someone you don't talk to. Maybe there's somebody at church that you worship with and you say, I don't feel close to them. Do you ever talk to them? Well, no wonder you're not close to them. You can't be close to people you don't talk to. Let's go to chapter 4. Same chapter, same book. Beginning at verse 3. Or verse 2 rather, you lust and you do not have, you covet and you cannot obtain, you fight in war and yet you do not have because you don't ask. You're not praying. You're not talking to him. Verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You're not praying as you should. You're not praying with the right purpose. You're not praying with the right motive. Sometimes you're not even asking. And then he adds, verse 8, draw near to God. One of the ways in which you're going to draw near to God, start talking to him with the right motive and the right purpose. Look at chapter 5, next chapter over, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. By the way, that effectual fervent prayer is in contrast to the prayer that we read about in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Quite a difference. So pray regularly. Jesus spoke a parable to this end that men ought always to pray and not faint. Never lose faith in prayer. Never lose confidence in prayer. Without turning there, you remember Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and evening. As was his custom since the early days. He was an old man by the time that was stated. For many, many years he'd been praying on a regular basis. You say, I want to draw close to God. Do you pray to him all the time? Do you pray on a regular basis? Do you pray about a lot of things? But there's something else in the context. Let's go back a little further to chapter 1. Listen to him. So I want to draw close to God. I want to be closer to God. You can't draw close to anyone you don't listen to. In the family? With friends? With brethren? Maybe you do some talking, but when they begin to talk, you walk away. You say, I don't feel close. I don't feel close to them. But do you remember when, when, when they were trying to talk to you, you just walked away and just ignored them? And they said they wanted to talk to you and you didn't, you didn't respond and you didn't want to talk to them? No wonder you don't feel close. We need to read and we need to study. Let's go to chapter 1 of James and we'll come to Colossians chapter 1. About the effect of that. But James chapter 1 verse 21 and 22. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And receive with meekness an implanted or engrafted word. Which is able to save your souls. Spend some time with the book. Read. Study. And meditate. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Paul's prayer for the Colossians was. That they may be filled with knowledge. Of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I want you to grow in knowledge. I want you to grow in understanding. I want you to study. I want you to grow. I want you to learn. What are we going to accomplish, Paul? That you may walk worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing him. You're going to be pleasing to the Lord when that happens. What have we seen in the context? What we saw in the context. How do I draw near to God? The context tells me how you do that. I remove the sin, resist the devil, submit to God, be humble, talk to him, and listen to him. I don't think you'll find anyone who's ever tried all of that who would say, you know what, I did all of that, and I did it as earnestly as I know how, and I just don't think I'm close to God anymore. I just don't think I am. When they're listening to him, and they're talking to him, and they're humble, and they're submitting to God, and they're resisting the devil, and they've removed the sin, they are close to God. But here's the last thing. Number three. Same context, same book, same verse. The promise God will draw near to you. I know the fact God hasn't moved. I know the action, draw near to God. And now thirdly, here's the promise. Go back to our text, James 4. Verse 8, draw near to God, here's the promise, and he will draw near to you. Now let's take a moment and go back to the Old Testament. Some assurance given in the Old Testament times, and I recognize it is Old Testament. Let's go back to First Chronicles chapter 28, if you will. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, if we seek the Lord, he will be found. In other words, it's not like I want to draw close to the Lord and I I made an effort and I get there and he's not close to me though. I don't get it. And it's possible in human relationships, you can talk to someone but then you're not close. You can listen to them but you're still not close. But God has given you the assurance, you draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. You seek me and you'll find me. Let's go to 1 Chronicles 28 and in verse 9. This is David in giving instructions to Solomon. He said, He said, As for you, my son Solomon, know that God of your fathers, know the God of your fathers and serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. You serve God with a loyal heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searches all the hearts and understands the intents and the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. You seek the Lord, he'll take care of you. You seek the Lord and you'll find him. Let's go over to the next book, 2 Chronicles chapter 15. 2 Chronicles 15, same principle. Azariah came to meet Asa and he said to him at verse 2, The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. You seek the Lord and he'll be found. Now verse 3, for a long time Israel has been without a true God, without the teaching priest and without the law, but when their trouble turned, they turned to the Lord and saw him and was found by them. When people turned to the Lord, they were found. When they turned away from the Lord, they didn't find the Lord. So here's the point I'm learning. If you seek the Lord and he will be found. Now two things happen at once. Go back to your text. Look at verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he draws near to you. Two things happen at the same time. The devil flees and God draws near. When sin enters, the devil comes closer and God is away from us. But when you draw near to God, Satan flees and God draws near. Here's what that means. When God draws near to us, that means we have God's approval and we have God's favor. Go back to the context again, James 4 and in verse 10. Humble yourselves in the in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. What does it mean he'll lift you up? He gives you his blessings, he exalts you. You have God's approval, you have God's favor. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. Paul said it was his aim, whether present or absent, to be accepted of him. We're now accepted of God. And we know we're in a close relationship with God. We're to grow not only in knowledge but in favor of the Lord. Go in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. And so you grow in his favor. That's a sense of growing in grace in the Lord. Back to Colossians 1 and verse 10, we've already read that if they grow in their knowledge, they would be fully pleasing to God. Not just pleasing, but fully pleasing to God. All of that describes the approval and the favor of God. Now, God gives us this assurance, and God gives us this promise. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God has given us the assurance. God has given us the promise, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. So what have we seen in, Hebrew, uh, in, in James chapter 4 and in verse 8? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Three things are told us in that text. There's the fact God hasn't moved. There's the action you need to draw near to God. And here's the promise God will draw near to you. Do you feel close to God? Some Christians don't. Do you? It's a question we began with. What's your answer now? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The fact, the action, and the promise. There may be one or more present this evening who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in